Hi there, I'm Deb Crow, and I want to welcome you to season four of Imperfect, the heart-centered leadership podcast. This is a podcast where we connect, learn, and laugh together with authentic and courageous leaders from all over the globe. You will learn from leaders you haven't even met yet. You will gain new tools to add to your leadership toolkit because leadership belongs to all of us. It is not measured by stature or title. So please pull up a chair and listen in. This is the Imperfect Heart-Centered Leadership Podcast. I was thinking this morning about the Billy Joel song, I'm in a New York state of mind, and I decided I wanted to be in a heart-centered state of mind. I am going to welcome my friend, my colleague, my co-author, Tina Bakehouse, to the show. Good morning. Welcome to you. And welcome to you, Deb. It's so wonderful to be here with you today. We have been together for almost 18 months, writing our books together. And I had uh, our other, one of our other cohort, cohort student friends, colleagues, Vanessa Bush on. And I just wanted to, I wanted to live out the definition of heart-centered leadership, which is honoring your connection with people. And I wanted to celebrate you both. So I'm delighted to have this time and space with you this morning. I'm going to ask you some leadership questions. I'm going to ask you some fun questions. And if you're ready to go, I'm, I'm ready to fire away. I am, absolutely. You look very beautiful, by the way. Oh, well, thank you. <laughs> Tina always looks beautiful and she always is smiling, which is, is no wonder why her branding is all around communication. So first leadership question, where do you think in the juncture of your, what I like to frame life or leadership journey, when did communication really become a passion and something that you realized was important and maybe you were going to pursue in your life? I have always, I, I grew up in the 80s. And so I was that kid at four years old that just loved Jim Henson and the Muppets and storytelling. And my front porch became a proscenium stage. And I would rope my younger brother and sister into creating radio talk shows with my little Fisher-Price radio tape recorder, which ages me, of course, and create scripts and performances for my parents' anniversary. And there was this element of creativity, of oratory of potential to influence and impact people with words that I recognized at a very young age. And I would say my fifth grade teacher in elementary school, Mrs. Hogeveen, she really fostered in me a love of language. And then it became, okay, I'm going to do speech team, community theater, all these things in high school. And then I get to college and I'm like, what? I could earn a degree in this thing we call communication studies. And it was during that time that it was a very abstract concept. My first degree was in communication studies and psychology. And I thought, well, what am I going to do with this? And so I worked in human resources and I figured out very quickly that interviewing people, training people, you know, leadership, everything foundationally comes from this thing we call communication. You cannot not communicate your nonverbal cues, your first impression, what you wear, how your tone of voice, your paralanguage, your word choice, all of it melds together to make you the youiest you that you are. And whether you connect with someone or not, you co-create or not, 
It's really communication intelligence, I would say, has been of interest to me since I was very young. But then I realized, wow, as an epiphany, that I could do something with it as I progressed throughout my school years and had those beautiful teachers encouraging me that actual experience. In fact, I got to see my 91-year-old fifth grade teacher and my other second grade teacher. They came to a book signing, then drove an hour away, showed up and surprised me. And it just took my breath away because they foundationally helped me get to where I am today. That That is so beautiful. And I, I saw your post and for them to show up for you, knowing who you are today, they knew they were a piece of your leadership journey. And I can only imagine how emotional that was. I'm, I'm hoping to go back to my high school and it's just, it's almost cathartic to go back into those spaces, but I just, I love how easy and eloquently you communicate mm. and you can tell it's your passion because your face just lights up and you have this, you know, beautiful, gregarious sense to you and this big smile. And it's always so fun to ask you questions and interact. And, and we have such beautiful chats. So my second question has permanent residency on the podcast over 250 leaders have been asked this question. What imperfections does Tina bring to her heart-centered leadership? Wow, that's a that is a that's a very vulnerable question, Deb. I I I think for me, I'm working on myself every day, right? I I always am on this journey of self-exploration, self-discovery. And I would say that. Sometimes the imperfection for me is in working it alone and acknowledging that I live on a farm and have a spouse and we're both very strong, hardworking individuals. And culturally in the Midwest, you work hard, you effort, a lot of efforting and in, in goes into what we call success. And as a woman entrepreneur in my business, I would say my imperfection has been it's hard for me to ask for help. Mm. And I know that at the core that that can really benefit everyone because it can empower the other person when you see in them added value, when you say, hey, I'm struggling with this thing. It's not my gift. Would you help me? And that has been something I continually explore with. How can I ask for help, empower other people to, to, to add value to their lives? And that would be a big one. I would also say, uh, the the idea of just being busy and and balancing that act mm -hmm. of showing up and you are as much what you say no to as what you say yes to. And with my training in improvisation, yes, and Dean, I have that big heart. And because I love and I'm kind and all of that, it's okay to say no or thank you for the opportunity, not this time. And it's not a rejection of that person. It's a limitation. And being okay that we have limitations, I think makes us better leaders that we can show up more fully present. I love that. You know, one of my favorite things to the whole boundary management is I always say that no backwards means it's just not the right time. We're just not on right now. Mm. And we're not meant to be human doings. We're meant to be human beings. And I've said that too. Yeah. I'm not a human doer. <laughs> Even just getting to the other side of, of writing a book, like it was a massive undertaking. And I can see why 
you know, I was shared from our publisher. It's only 11% of us on the planet Earth out of 8 billion write a book. That's incredible to me. I'm still processing that. So yeah. I, I, I hear your imperfections. They are shared globally with many leaders that have been on the show. And asking for help is hard, especially when you're like us and we're solopreneurs. Absolutely. It could be seen as a weakness, but it isn't. It's not, exactly. And and I would rather be uh, gifted with a badge of honor for asking for help and having the ability to fail forward than to sit and, and, and not try by asking. So I, I'm with you on that. Okay, my third question is about your book. Tell us the name of your book and... Give us that kind of glimpse of the starting, what you felt in an aligned heart and mind sense. And what did you land up with? My book title is Discovering Our Magnetic Speaker Within. And I love, Deb, that you've been part of this journey with me. I I went through ebbs and flows of getting critiqued for that title in and of itself because it's very intentional. And I love that both you and Vanessa said, Tina, this is the right title for you because like like all authors, I think we go through a vulnerable experience of you're exposing your heart, you're exposing your ideas, and there's going to be opinions and judgments and things said that can be kind of daggers because I remember when I used to teach years and years ago, high school English speech and theater, and I had kiddos write poetry. They put their hearts out there and they're like, I got a B plus. You're saying I am a B plus? I said, you didn't have a metaphor it's okay. <laughs> Your words have power and we're going to learn this thing called metaphor and simile. But so with this title, I decided discovering is an important word because the ing is, I always feel like we're on a journey of exploration. We're never quite done. Even though I've been teaching and researching and presenting on these concepts for more than two decades, I was a college professor after teaching high school and have done consulting work for many years. I'm still learning. I'm still stretching. I'm still growing. I have that learned mindset, and I think that's essential. The the word that a lot of people got tripped out on was the pronoun our, not your. And that was a really hard sell to some people, even some people I'd interviewed for the book. And what I decided is it's a we thing. You know, you've heard that aphorism, if you uh, if a tree falls in a forest and no one is there to hear it, did it ever happen? Well, if you give a speech, share a story, have a conversation, and the other or other people are not listening, well, did it ever really happen? It's a we thing. So mm-hmm. our is why I chose that pronoun. And magnetic, of course, this word has become a really big part of my brand because I define magnetism. It's not just being loud and big and gregarious, maybe like a Tony Robbins type, though he is magnetic. There are many other ways and forms in which we can be. So I define being magnetic as using your words, your body language, your voice, your overall energy and essence to make that impact that you desire. And we can do that whether you're introverted, extroverted, it's letting the passion lead the communication. And the biggest piece of all of this is that that's where the within, it comes from the heart, mm-hmm. the way in which you convey your message. And so my book is broken down into three parts. It's the magnetic mind, message, and mechanics. 
and you really start with the exploration of how you view yourself, how your brain works, what your temperament is, what is your authentic self, your communication style and preferences, Mm -hmm. then translating that into a message and having ways in which you can engage in what positive psychologists call flow and creativity, being playful with ideas, embedding strategies of how you organize your message and hook the audience and be audience-centered, which I think is in beautiful alignment, Deb, with heart-centeredness, right? Absolutely, and it is. it's all about them. Yeah. We, we tend to, even our stories needs to make the audience the hero of the story. Yeah, And absolutely. then finally, in addition to the message, it's of course the mechanics. Delivery, delivery, delivery is everything. How you use your voice, your body, your overall presence to connect. Because if you have a beautiful set of words and you speak in a monotone voice like this, a very robotic it's not going to land. Mm -hmm. And TED Talks, the most successful ones, really get their gestures and their bodies into it within those first 30 seconds. So that's what this book is about. It has stories and strategies to support leaders on any stage in which they communicate and want to convey their messages. It's amazing. I'm so happy for you. And you just are so settled in the completion of the book and now getting it out there to the world. And I know you're going to continue to soar. Okay, my last question, it's a bit of a takeoff from the first leadership question. You talk about early elementary school and some of the things you did with your siblings. If you were to go back and talk to that young group of boys and girls who maybe have a similar interest, what would you share with them now as you're farther along in your life and leadership journey? What what tips and tricks and, and wise words would you share with a young group of nine to 12 year olds? I love this. In fact, last week I was very privileged. A high school had reached out to me. They'd heard an interview I had on a radio and a young lady who's graduating high school wanted to career shadow me, which was super affirming. And I saw in her what I felt I was with all the possibilities at age 18. And so when I think back at ages nine and 10, which are really big times. You're, you're starting to not just learn to read, but learn to learn and, and explore what and who you are, how you see yourself. And I feel the biggest thing is to not limit yourself mm-hmm. because it can be easy to, you get into this mode, especially in that third and fourth grade year of clicks and popularity. And how do I facilitate that and move through all of that. And I would say, stand firmly grounded in the being that you are. And I've been seeing my young 13-year-old who's going on 65, I swear. He loves golfing and shopping, so he should be retired. But he has evolved into this really, he's like a very old soul. And the conversations that we've been having, I'm like, wow, he has figured out more at his young age from spending time reading books like Zen Golf and tapping into spirituality and even getting a spiritual practice because I grew up in a church with my family and and I value those years of having that sense of community, connection. But I think connection with others is fantastic, but it's really centering connection with self so that you understand the who that you are so that you show up consistently and authentically as that person. Because I was, when I look back at Tina May as a nine and 10 year old, I was quirky. I still am quirky, 
very creative, be to my own drummer. And I think, you know, doing my own way, I thought in stories and visualized in stories. And I had certain teachers that I looked up to that really embraced that and some that kind of crushed that Mm -hmm. and staying firm in your being. I was lucky enough to have a fourth grade best friend who was always herself. She really, really empowered me when we had a rough, that year was very challenging because that teacher was very hard to, lots of stories there. But what I loved about her is she, I always knew what I was going to get from her. And that was, she loved herself. She was unapologetic for who she was. And she was kind and compassionate to all people. Didn't matter. There was no lines in the sand for the different groups. She would waver and I would follow her. And I thought, this is kind of cool. I want to walk with her. So I would say my tips would be, be in your being, explore spiritual practice. And when you connect with self, then you can best connect authentically for others and meet them where they are. Because I think that more than anything, people want to be seen, heard, and comprehended. And the last thing is you are your word. What you say out loud and what you declare is who you are. So if you say, I'm shy, I don't get it, I'm stupid, those things you are going to embody. So instead, say and be in the firm belief that you have faith in yourself. Be expansive in that belief and show up in that creative self that you are, for we're all creative beings. Absolutely. Well said. Okay, I'm going to switch to my fab four. These are just four fun questions. I don't want you to think. I want you to just share what's sitting on the top of that brilliant communicative mind of yours. What's a word or a phrase that shows up every day in your communication? Be you and be true. Yes, it does. Name a book that you've read at any juncture in your life. What's the title, the author, and how was it impactful? Wow, I have so many books. This is a hard one, but I would say the most impactful one was Please Understand Me Too by David Kiersey. It's a psychology book about temperament. And my mentor years ago had read it 20 times. And I, I, I'm, I'm working on getting past that number, but it's really impacted me to help understand the self, but more so understand the other to connect with them in a deeper, more meaningful way. Oh, I love that. We haven't had that one yet on the show. Another one to add to the library. Okay, the third question, I'm granting you a wish. I'm going to put some context around this. You get to have dinner with a leader that you aspire to meet. This leader may be living. This leader may have passed away. Who are you having dinner with? And what is the dinner conversation? Wow. What a gift, right? To, to envision myself at the table with somebody who's popping up just right now as I'm thinking is Maya Angelou mm. um, because of how she didn't speak, but then found her voice again. And I, I, I'm getting chills right now in my body as I think about, I had the ability to get to see her speak uh, in person at an event and her voice it just was dead silent and it just filled the space because talk about a woman that could write words that had powerful meaning, but also bring it to life in such a beautiful way and how she overcame. So I would say the conversation would be, I would ask her, how did you, how did you gain your voice back? 
Mm. What was that inciting incident? I would want to know that story and that moment in time. I would love to know, when did she know that being a poet and owning she's a poet? Because I still struggle sometimes owning I'm a storyteller or this entrepreneur. How did she know to say, I own, I'm a poet, and I'm going to do this and be out there in the world? I would love to hear her strategies. You know, I'm, I've am i got a big personality, but I'm really more of a quiet, wanting, downtime person. I would love to know her strategies for getting out there in the world for big keynotes and things and how she took care of herself before, during, and after. And I would finally want to just, I would just love to hear her share and just let her do a lot of the talking. I would, it would be like, I have these questions, just talk. Yeah. And uh, just talk. Yeah. And just, I would take it in because I know that like Oprah Winfrey, so many people who were lucky enough to really know her at a personal level, saw her as their, you know, she was mentoring them. And I think she held people close and under their wing and you were lucky enough to have that. And she was just wise beyond her years. She was an old soul and we, what a beautiful gift to the world. Yeah, she's uh, she's one of my faves too. I I have her poetry books on my shelf. I love them. <laughs> I have a couple that I've been gifted over the years, and and she's one of my faves as well. It it, it would be incredible, and she's I know she's missed by many. Mm-hmm. So before I have you finish my last question, I just want to say I'm so happy for you. You are such a gift to this world. It was fun writing my book alongside of you and we did it. We're done. Now let's just put our <laughs> magic out there and wish you nothing but continue, continued success. And I gained another friend in the process, which is always heart-centered for me. So I'm going to have you finish the show by finishing this sentence. Heart-centered leadership is all in, authentic, and true. Thanks so much for joining me today on Imperfect, the Heart-Centered Leadership Podcast. I hope you've enjoyed the show today and have learned some new tools for your leadership toolkit from our amazing Heart-Centered guest. If you like the show, feel free to give us a rating and a review, and we always welcome your feedback anytime. If you're ready to master the art of heart, my new book, The Heart-Centered Leadership Playbook, is now available on Amazon, or you can click the link below in our description.